First hymn will be number 455, And Can It Be? Number 455 in the red hymnal. Long my imprisoned spirit 
found in sin and nature's light. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off my heart. Forth and followed thee, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all. Coming to the close of the Easter season, and uh, this Thursday's Ascension Thursday, uh, close to when Jesus ascends to the Father and leaves his disciples so that the Spirit can be sent. And so uh, the last few gospel readings have dealt with that. And this is the final passage from John 16 in which Jesus gives this long discourse about why he's going to the Father, why it's good for them that he goes and sends the Spirit. And so uh, our readings will, will center around that. So the Old Testament reading for the sixth Sunday in Easter comes from Numbers. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Then they set out from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people, <coughs> the people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. The word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is 
found in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verses 22 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom... And preserves in it, perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here the word of the Lord. Let us stand and confess what the scriptures have taught us to believe in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Sheol. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our gospel reading is John 16, John chapter 16, verses 23 through 33. John chapter 16, verses 23 through 33. Let's pray. Holy Father, anoint our ears and our souls to be fed by you. Change us into the image of your Son. Give us confidence to approach the Father. Give us dependence on the Spirit that we might not trust our own wisdom or our own understanding, but they would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 16, verses 23 through 25. Sorry, 23 through 33. Verses 23 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name. And I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. 
Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming, and has come, when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. One of the great gifts in the New Covenant is the access we have to the Father. That we can immediately go before His presence and ask Him things directly. Because of the work of Jesus, we are able to have this intimate communion with our Heavenly Father. We can address Him directly because Jesus has made peace between man and God. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection tear down the hostility that our sin created. And through this torn veil, we then have clarity. We can begin to understand God's word. We can understand who Jesus is. Because all the word reflects Christ and points to Christ. Through the ministration of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can understand that. We can see that. What was behind a glass dimly for the Old Covenant is now seen directly for us. And in this unimpeded communion, the love of the Father shines more clearly. And this freshness is brought to us by the work of the Spirit. The Spirit, then, is the means by which our, our faith will be strengthened and our understanding will grow. Verses 23 through 24. In that day you will not ask me anything. Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. So up until this point, Jesus has been their teacher. He has been their rabbi. If they had a question, didn't understand something, they asked Jesus. Or sometimes they'd ask themselves because they were afraid to ask Jesus. Right? Like when they said, what does he mean he's going to the Father? What does he mean by that? They couldn't go directly to the Father because the covering of Christ's blood had not been applied to them yet. They were, they were still part of the old Adam. But when the Spirit comes, he will clothe the disciples in Jesus. So when they go to the Father, the Father sees Christ on them. That's what it means to go to the Father in the name of Jesus. Past things in Christ's name is to say, on behalf of Jesus, I'm asking you this. As someone who participates in Jesus, Father, I'm asking you this. They needed somebody, we need somebody, to sit at the right hand of the Father and embody humanity for us. This is why it's such a gift that he ascends, is that he now, we now have somebody, a mediator, God, the perfect union of God and man sits at the right hand of the Father and represents us to him. So he, when he looks at Jesus, he sees us. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Right? You, you need an inside man to have your requests heard. It's in ways similar to, I worked at a, a paper mill in Waterville, and the only way you could get a job there, even a summer help, was if you knew somebody on the inside. If you didn't know anybody on, on the inside, it wasn't even worth applying and so there's a similar fear that the, this, this leads to a similar fear that the Jews had, right? The Jews in the Old Covenant, they didn't actually have somebody in perfect union with the Father. They didn't have somebody participating in the life of the Trinity on their behalf. 
The closest thing they had was a high priest who once a year could go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice directly to God on the Day of Atonement. That's the closest thing they had. So there was this great fear and trepidation about getting too close to God if you weren't the right person. If you, I mean, if you went too close into the temple and you weren't even a Levite, you died. Right? The Levites guarded the tabernacle with spears to kill people before they would enter and defile the temple. It was a fearful thing to draw near to God. And so what grew out of that, and this still exists in, in some parts, is that there was a, a fear to even use the name Yahweh. Because that's too much direct contact with God. To even say Yahweh, that was too much. And so when Jesus teaches them to pray, Our Father, that was more comfortable at the time because it removes it a little bit. You're not saying Father directly. You're saying Our Father, collectively, right? The Father who's in heaven, the Heavenly Father. But that, there's a transition when you get to Luke and they're taught to pray the Our Father. It's Father who art in heaven. It's, it's a more direct address. Because what Jesus is teaching them is that not only am I going to teach you how to pray to your father, not only will I teach you how to talk to dad, but I'm actually going to go to his right hand and I'm going to represent you. So when you say our father, I'm there praying it with you. In my name, you're doing this. So there's two ways in which Jesus mediates for us on behalf of the father. Right? He brings humanity directly into the father's presence. He is the high priest and that forever sits with the father. And so any person that has faith in him can go to the Father directly too. You don't have to wait for the Day of Atonement. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to be born from the line of Aaron. You just, right, that's, and this is what baptism does. It makes you a priest and makes you a priest. And that baptism is efficacious to clothe you in Christ so you can go to the Father. And so not only does he do that by making you a priest that can go to the Father, he teaches you the very words by which you ought to go to him. And it's this prayer, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, and it's that prayer that then becomes the model for, for all interaction, all speech, all direct discourse with God. Any prayer then is modeled off of Our Father, hallowing the name of God, asking for forgiveness of sins, asking that He keep us from temptation, asking for daily bread, that His name would be hallowed throughout the earth. That model then should inform, and it summarizes the Psalter. Right? The Psalms, in a way, are summarized in the Our Father. So this, all of this stuff, then, is packaged in how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, and then saying, look, I've taught you this, I've given you the tools, you have the Psalter, now you have the summary of the Psalter, and the Our Father, I'm going to go, and now you can do this on your own. You can do this in my name. You don't have to come to me anymore, you can go right to Dad. Verses 25 to 28. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So the parables of Jesus up to this point have been used to conceal the mysteries of heaven. Right, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. These figures of speech, these parables, are a sort of verbal tabernacle. 
Right? The tabernacle, as we just talked about with the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle concealed the full glory of God. The inside, the holy place and the, most, and the Holy of Holies, were adorned with gold. Right? The, the Ark of the Covenant was there, containing the law. The altar of incense was there, where prayers ascended to the Father. The, the table of, of the bread of presence. All of the mysteries, all of the holy stuff was locked behind the temple with the tabernacle walls, the temple walls. And so it concealed the deepest mysteries of how God was present with his people. At the same time, it was revealing something. Right? You didn't know that the tabernacle, where that, where that thing was, that was where God's presence was. That's where you went to commune with God. You brought your sacrifices there. You knew that the priests were ministering there on your behalf. Okay? So there was a, a type of revelation. You were able to know something, but the fullness was not yet known because it was hidden behind the tabernacle. And Jesus' words worked on a similar level. Right? Only those that had faith, only those that were approaching becoming priests, those were the ones that were starting to understand in part. Not in full, but in part, they would we'd start to hear his parables and it would start to change them. But they didn't have full understanding yet. And Jesus tells them that. Until this time, I've spoken to you in figures. But a time will come when I will no longer do that. A time will come when clarity will be brought to you. A time will come when you'll have access to these deep mysteries of the faith. And once the Spirit descends and anoints them at Pentecost, that's that moment. At the moment of Pentecost is when the deep things are revealed. When the, the hid things hidden become plain. Because the temple veil has been torn. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And now when the fire comes down on the heads of the apostles, that tells you, oh, this is the new temple. Right? Whenever the temple was built, then the Spirit would descend and you would see a great cloud of smoke emerge in the temple. Light would come to the temple. And so when the apostles receive the light of the Spirit, they are the temple. And so now the mysteries are embodied in them. They now contain the deposit of Christ's teachings. This is why in the Great Commission, they can go baptize and teach people to obey everything Jesus said. Because the Spirit will give them full wisdom about that. So all these things that were once concealed are now revealed. And this is why the epistles read so much differently than the Gospels. The epistles will use much more direct language, much clearer language. They're still hard. Paul's still hard to read sometimes. Peter's still hard to understand sometimes. But they understand themselves as unpacking what Jesus said. They understand themselves as easier to understand than Jesus' mysterious parables. They're articulating. They have the illumination of the Spirit, and they're, they're articulating, hey, Corinthian church, you're doing this stuff. This is what the teaching of Jesus would have you do differently about the stuff you're, say, you're saying and doing. So they're directly applying the teachings of Jesus and unveiling them to the people. Right? It's, it's similar to when a child is learning the alphabet song. First they memorize all 26 letters with a melody, but they do this long before they learn how to read. And by the time they actually get to reading... All of a sudden, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, A, J, K, L, M, O, P take on much fuller meaning. All of a sudden, those letters help them understand world history, help them understand the mysteries of God. They help them understand mathematics, science, astronomy, right? music. All of these things become unfolded to them because the, the, the simple pattern is now shown to be something bigger. That these letters, these 26 letters, now belong to this bigger world. Right? Just like these parables, these seeds that Jesus was sowing 
are now seen to belong to this broader revelation, the whole Bible, as this deposit of beauty, as a deposit of God, the mysteries of God. And when we say the mysteries of God, it's not like there's this secret coded message, and if you do the math right, like if you take the 26th verse and divide it by the 31st verse, you figure out that Jesus comes back in 2045 on June the 2nd. That's not what I mean by mysteries. By mysteries, the mystery is that God became man and dwelt among us. That's the mystery of heaven. That's the thing that the church took 300 years to figure out how to articulate it appropriately, right? The Council of Nicaea is when they finally formalized, how do we talk about how God became man and dwelt among us? How do we, how do we say that carefully enough so that we're not saying the wrong things about God? That's a deep mystery that takes time with the Spirit to understand. And that is the central mystery of our lives, is that somehow God became a human being and dwelt among us and died, was buried, and rose again and ascended to heaven. He did something that no human ever has done or will do again. And it's in that mystery that we grow in faith and understanding and wisdom by dwelling in that reality that God became one of us and now sits at the right hand of the Father and is teaching us how to become more like Him. This is what the Spirit guides us through. The Spirit is sent as a helper to pursue godliness. And it is our privilege as royal heirs of God the Father that we would have access to this Spirit, that we would have access to understanding what God has done for us. And this, and this is how God loves us. But Jesus is the love of the Father. And the Spirit, sends, the Spirit is sent to testify that Jesus is the love of the Father. That's why he says, look, you don't have to talk to me, and I don't have to ask the Father for you anymore. The Father loves you because you loved me. It's the transitive property, right? If X plus Y equals Z, or I can't do it off the top of my head right now. But and that's, right? The Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loved, loves us, loves the church. We love Jesus, therefore the Father loves us. Because we love Christ, and through loving Christ we love the Father, and the Father through loving Christ loves the church. He loves his people. So look, you can ask God directly. In my name you get to ask him. You go to him because you're, you're dressed in my clothes. And this is, again, the, the mystery of the Father is that he would bother to not just say, just trust me, I love you, okay? I, just, I told you once, I love you, just trust me. But he says, I'm going to show you that I love you by embodying my love in a singular person that's born in 0 AD, dies and is buried and risen again. This is how you know that I love you. Because I loved my son and, I, and he died for you. And then I brought him back and I vindicated him on behalf of his righteousness. So now, if you love him, you get the same thing. You don't, you don't have despair in death. You get to have hope in death. And so the, the son being at the right hand of the father is not just a helpful tool for intercession, but it is a way for the father to have a direct object of love for us to be united to. Because the father loves the son and we partake of the son's life through baptism and faith, we get the father's love. That it is sealed in a concrete reality of the incarnation. Verses 29 through 33. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. 
Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So the disciples continue to not really understand what Jesus is saying. They think they understand. Jesus has just said, I have been speaking to you in figures of speech. A time will come later when I won't. And they go, yeah, 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 right now, right? We get it now you're saying that. He's like, I just told you, not right now, not yet, later. But they they think they understand. And we think we understand. I, I am far too quick to think I understand things. I mean, even, even in times of trial and tribulation where I'm like, oh, I get it. I need to learn this lesson and then the hard thing will end. Or I get it. I'm, being, I'm going through a hard thing this week because next week I'll have a harder thing happen. And frequently it's never the pattern I think I'm predicting. And this demonstrates our need for the Holy Spirit. That we need a guide. We need a helper. We need this third person of the Trinity to, to assist us. But thankfully, it is the delight of God to patiently and lovingly guide us into knowing well, to knowing his word well. Right? Like a good father won't give his son one chance at mowing the lawn and then say, well, you botched it. You forgot to get you know, a quarter of the backyard, and so you're done. No more lawn mowing for you. Rather, he gives him instruction and says, okay, next time do it this way. Go in this pattern so you don't miss spots anymore. And he tries it again. And then he botches it again. He leaves little mohawks all over the lawn and he goes back and he gives him instruction and he does it again. That's a good father. That he doesn't remove privilege. He doesn't remove responsibility because the son fails multiple times. This is what the Lord does for us. How many, how many times have we read a passage of scripture and not gotten the point or misapplied it or been inappropriate with it or been strange with our readings of it or neglected to read it all together? And yet the father doesn't say, all right, no more Bibles for people because you guys keep doing weird stuff with the Bible, so I'm taking the Bible away. No, he keeps giving it to us and inviting us to hear it and say, try again. Okay, closer, try again. Right? This, is, this is what, Lord willing, I will help with. Right? This is why I belong to a larger collection of ministers in Maine that I meet with frequently so they can help me say, oh, oh nice try, but not quite, try again. This is the gift, the gift to the, the church is teachers so that we have personal aids and assistance to guide us to knowing well. <clears throat> the exhortation from Jesus then is that they are too self-assured. Oh, do you believe now? You think now you believe because in like a week you're going to leave me. You're going to abandon me very quickly from now. They'll be scattered and cower in fear. We're often the most bold in these settings. It's it's very easy to be bold as a Christian when we're gathered together, and it should be the easiest time to be bold as a Christian. We're together. This is, this is you know, I don't like this phrase, but this is a safe, safe space, right? This is a safe place. This is like special family time with Jesus. So it's very easy to be assured of your identity with Christ when you're hearing His Word, when you're singing to Him, when you're when I mean the whole service is just a cascade of Scripture, right? And framed in different ways. So it's very easy to feel like, yes, I am ready to go. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to live like a Christian. It's very hard 
when it's Thursday night and you're tired and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of nasty phone calls from people or people are gossiping about you or things aren't going your way. You've been riddled with sickness for weeks and months and you don't know why it's not stopping. Any number of these things make it hard to feel assured that the Father loves you. It's like, I don't, I don't feel like a Christian at these moments. Maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus isn't really the sole point of trust I should have. Maybe there's other things that would be more helpful in this moment. Maybe ibuprofen is a more trustworthy companion than Jesus. But this is, this is the lesson that Jesus is pointing them to. That you will, you will be unfaithful. But return to Jesus. Jesus has made peace with you that covers your moments of unfaithfulness. We, we leak our faith, right? And we need Jesus to continue to re-embolden us. It is his gift that he's given us to trust him. And so you have to remember that, look, Jesus has made peace and his ascension is your assurance. His ascension is your consolation in times of difficulty. This is how he ends it, right? That... <clears throat> I came from the Father, and he has come to the world. Again, I... I'm oh, sorry, that's 20, 28. <clears throat> Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. So he just says, you're going to leave me alone, but be assured, in me you have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. So he's not saying... If, again, it's the lawnmowing thing. He's not saying, well, if you guys are weak in a moment... That's too bad. You missed the boat. You should have not ever been weak, ever. He's saying, you will be weak. You will suffer. You will abandon me at different times. But I've made peace with you. I have conquered the world. So keep coming back to me. Nothing in the world can separate you from the love of God. Failure will always accompany growth. You cannot change if you don't endure failure and struggle. If you don't bother to try and fall on your face. I am very timid when it comes to doing anything that is explicitly evangelistic. I'm very timid to go knock on someone's door or to try to approach a stranger and figure out how to talk to them about Jesus. I feel like I'm going to be awkward. I'm going to send the wrong message. I'm going to do something wrong, right? And so like Saturday, what I did is like, okay, we're going to take baby steps to this. I'm going to put some stuff in mailboxes. I'm going to go talk to two businesses, and that'll, that's better than anything I've done before in my life, right? And there's probably, there, and there, there are all kinds of people that would have done a better job than me. That would have been bold and courageous and not cared that they were being chastised and, and uh, hated by their neighbors. Right? All kinds of people that are better at it than I am. But if I never bother to fail or feel humiliation or feel embarrassed or ashamed, I'll never grow. I'll never grow in sanctification. You have to be willing to stumble. You have to be willing to endure suffering. And know that, the, that Jesus has made peace. And Jesus has conquered the world. So even when you trip and fall on your face, you can stand up in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is the personalized gift of peace that facilitates our conversations with the Father. And it is by the Spirit that our faith will be strengthened and our understanding grown. By the Spirit, that we can be assured that our Father loves us and desires to hear from us. Regardless of how small or trivial the trouble may seem, he wants to hear from you. Bring your burdens to him. It's the only faithful deposit for your concerns. He wants, to bring us, he wants us to bring our burdens and our sins and our thanks and our praises to his throne. 
He's not a resentful, distant father that's irritated that you called him on a Saturday evening. He's personal and near. He has torn the veil of hostility by the crucifixion of his own son. By the suffering of Jesus, we can come into the throne room with confidence that we are welcome. By continued communication before the face of God, our faith will be strengthened as we receive his forgiveness, as we receive answered prayers, as we receive consolation in lament. We will understand his ways by dwelling in his presence. Just as a child imitates their parents, the more we honor and seek God, the more we will imitate and become like Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 296. 296, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Number 296. We'll just do the verses in the musical staff. Oh, we'll just sing the, the four verses that are in the musical staff. We won't do verses five and six that are outside of it at the bottom. Therefore, if you bring your gift 
to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Let's sing the Gloria Patri in response to our giving. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, just a reminder, there's some folks out. Um, Roger and Marie are sick. We'll keep them in prayer specifically for their health. And uh, other folks as well that are here, we'll pray for them. <clears throat> also, just, uh, again, keep, keep the, the church in prayer that we would be confident Christ, and even if we lose everything he's given us, we still have his fellowship and his communion, and, uh, and that he'll provide for his people in some way. Um, but that, you know, pray that, that he would deliver us. <clears throat> our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Let us bring our petitions and thanksgiving to him in Christ's name. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the holy church of God, for the unity of all people, especially the church in Maine. Lord, we pray for the fellow churches that minister the gospel in unity, for uh, Faith Community Church, Unity Church of Christ, Bible Baptist Church, Quaker Hill Christian Church, that you'd grow us in oneness with each other, that we would love one another, pray for one another, and minister together for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Lord, in your mercy. For our president, our governor, for the leaders of the state of Maine, the nation, for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and will to conserve it, for food and shelter, let us pray to the Lord.
going on for the spring and summer, um, and that you guys through those projects together as um, husband and wives and families. Um, thank you for your provision, and uh, thank you for the beauty that you've given us here in Maine. Lord, in your mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, for those who are lonely, for those in bondage to addiction, for all who are confused and lost, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, especially for persecuted Christians living in fear or threat of danger, for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing number 311. 311, Hail to the Lord, the Almighty. Number 311.
condemned and dying were precious in his sight. He shall come down like showers upon the fruitful earth. Good love, joy, hope, and flowers spring in his path to birth. Before him on the mountain shall peace the herald go, and righteousness in fountains from hill to valley flow. O'er every foe victorious, he on his throne shall Therefore, go into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and lift his countenance up to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.